Hi there, and welcome to There's Been a Murder by Ashley and Gareth, where we discuss true crimes that have occurred in our home countries, mine being Ireland and Ashley's being Scotland. And just as a trigger warning, there is depictions of violence and domestic violence discussed throughout this episode, so listener discretion is advised. So Gareth, who are we talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about uh, quite an infamous murder that happened uh, in West Cork. Mm -hmm. So the county Cork is at the very bottom of Ireland, very southwest. So it's in Southern Ireland. Yes. Yes. And this this is the murder of uh, a French woman Mm -hmm. whose name is Sophie Toscan Duplantea. (laughs) Sorry, say her surname again. Her name is Sophie Toscan Duplantea. Oh. <laughs> so throughout this uh, episode, I will simply refer to her as Sophie. <laughs> I quite like the way you say her surname. Well, I think with the length of her surname, mm. the fact her surname is French mm. and I've got a stammer, mm-hmm. No. <laughs> she will be referred to as Sophie throughout okay, it. I think then for our listeners and especially me, you should say her name one more time as French as you can be. <laughs> I feel like that's insulting. <clears throat> Sophie Dosgan Duplantea. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but yes. So Sophie mm-hmm. was born on the 28th of July, 1957. She was a French TV producer Mm -hmm. and lived in Paris with her husband and her 15-year-old son from her previous marriage. So she's been married twice. Okay. She's on her her second marriage. Okay. She had visited Ireland several times as a child and even stayed with an Irish family for a period of time and fell in love with the country. In 1993, she bought a cottage outside the town of Skull, West Cork. Skull is on the coast and is as typical as you can get for a coastal town in Ireland. It was an idyllic town set against the backdrop of green rolling hills and Mount Gabriel. Now, when I say Mount Gabriel, mm-hmm. mountains in Ireland aren't necessarily the tallest. So okay. they are, it's are like, like hills? Yes, very big hills. <laughs> so it's like um, Sleeve Donard, which is the tallest mountain in uh-huh. in, in quotations in, in Northern Ireland. It's about 850 metres. Okay. So, so. Not, so like we're not talking the Andes or the... Who's Andy? Himalaya, the Andes Mountains in, in South America. Oh, right. On, they're on the like Western Coast type oh, okay. area. <laughs> or the geography lesson here <laughs> i just thought like people would know the andy mountains the andes yeah okay <laughs> moving swiftly on <laughs> yep um sorry have you been to skull no i don't think so probably not okay. i'm i might have been to cork as a child like mm-hmm. on a family holiday but i don't really remember and correct me if i'm wrong the cork accent is interesting um, Your face lit up when I said that. No, it didn't. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> no, it, no, it didn't. Because I thought you were going to ask me 
what the Cork accent is, and I can't do it. <laughs> is it quite thick though? Um, if you're if you're from the countryside, or if you're a culture as we would call them, mm-hmm. um, or like a farmer, they can have very thick accents. That's um, even I would would struggle to to understand. Yeah, it's but you know, like it's not that it's like anyone who's from Cork, it's impossible to understand them. Okay. Some have like a but softer... But Skull, would that have um, quite... If that was a town outside of Cork, West Cork, would do you think predominantly the accent there would have been quite thick then? Well, I'll get into it. Oh, sorry. Oh. Okay. Skull was a town that rarely saw any form of crime. Murder was essentially unheard of. As the last murder to, to happen in the area had, had been for nearly 100 years prior to the murder we're about to discuss. Oh, okay. Wow. That's a long time. Yes. That, I, I'm liking the idea of this this town skull. It sounds very peaceful and um, tranquil and cute. This was the type of area where people didn't lock their doors. I love that. Yeah, like just... Not that I still think maybe it's just because obviously I was not brought up in that area, but mm-hmm. um, it does feel very like strange at the thought of people not locking their doors. Yeah. But like just because obviously the fact clearly crime isn't a massive mm-hmm. issue in Skull, mm-hmm. I just love that. It seems well, would quaint. you say? Would you say that you almost feel welcomed already? Yeah. I imagine, like, if you were to go into, like, I'm assuming that there's, like, one local pub. If you go into the pub, mm-hmm. like, they would be, like, very chatty and welcoming. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. liking this idea of Skull. Don't ruin it for me. Well, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, because the population of Skull was very open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I find this very interesting because typically, you know, like, growing up when you would go to, like rural areas of of ireland mm-hmm. the communities could be very uh like closed off yeah insulated mm-hmm. so it didn't really like people from outside of you know like or you like or city people coming yes in. yeah but that happens like yeah here as well mm-hmm. so in skull there was a constant ebb and flow of newcomers and the international visitors was there a lot of tourists yes yeah and it was actually viewed more as an international community than an irish oh okay community you could find english french dutch german every third or fourth house okay would have someone of a foreign nationality in it can i just ask so for instance um during the pandemic Mm -hmm. or maybe even before it a lot of Americans bought property in Oban, which is in Scotland, for people that don't okay, know. Okay, yes. Lovely, like, very touristy town. Yeah. And now it makes it really, really difficult for residents um, to to buy in, in mm-hmm. Oban because the, there's no properties. And if they yeah. are and they go in the market, they're really sought after. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these Americans use made as holiday homes or they Airbnb them. Mm-hmm. So with Skull, was it similar to that or was it that, a lot of the international people lived there like that was now their home no it, it was it was definitely more people people visited there yeah and just didn't leave okay i love that so it's yeah like, love that yeah like they were very much attracted to the, the beauty of, of, of the of the area you're so selling this to me so it's, 
Yeah, like, <laughs> see, when I was <laughs> researching this, I was just like, this, this sounds amazing. Yes, um, like, uh, oh, not Europa, um, Utopia. Utopia, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a utopia. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds so nice. Mm-hmm. Look at you, being a travel agent. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'll, I'll, I'll need to get in, in contact with them and, and take any commissions. So. <laughs> We'll get a discount code. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now, now, back to Sophie. Mm-hmm. For being a TV producer, Sophie did not enjoy the social aspects that would sometimes come from the job mm-hmm. and very much preferred to live a quiet, secluded life away from the hustle bustle. Sounds like a bit of an introvert. Yes. And that must be tough with her line of work because I can imagine like, there's a lot of um, like TV uh, launch parties yes, or yeah. and networking, so mm-hmm. that must be quite challenging. Yes, I can see why she's maybe wanted to like not run away to Skull, but like you know, once she's done a big project, maybe just mm-hmm. get to Skull and just decompose. I, I think that's what attracted her to to Ireland. You you like from when she was a child that like it is just you're away from the rat race at times. Yes. So, as you, you know, if you're outside the cities, then, you, you know, it, it's the perfect, perfect way to get away. Um, I actually thought, sorry, that you were meaning that she was attracted to Ireland because you were all introverts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's, that's not the stereotype that, that no, people exactly. have. No, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Sophie was married to a well-known film producer oh okay so she's a tv producer and, and he's, he's a oh yeah. wow daniel craig tuscan duplantaire <laughs> <laughs> and it was said that that sophie and daniel were were of the same creative and intellectual level mm-hmm. and they immediately clicked oh that's nice daniel would would court sophie with, with tickets to premieres and with the best seats Aww. Sophie's life with Daniel was extremely sociable. There wasn't a day when they wouldn't have to meet people or have, have people round to their home. Daniel was a person who would be seen rubbing rubbing shoulders with the French president at the time amongst other well-known celebrities. Oh, wow. So this is where they sound very different. Yes. So on, on one hand, she's... She loves the quiet, you know, yeah. you know, to, to be herself. But on the other hand, she almost has a, a duty to her husband. Yeah, and I get, like, opposites attract. Maybe, you know, Daniel might pull her out of her um, introvert style. Mm-hmm. You know, but sometimes that might be overkill if yeah. he's doing this every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see why she would maybe like to retreat to Skull then, mm-hmm. to just recharge. Yeah. When buying the uh, cottage at, at Skull, she took her cousin with her to, to view various various properties in, in Ireland and fell in love with the wild, wild na- nature of the cottage she would a- a- end up buying. It was a bit up Mount Gabriel, mm-hmm. up, a, up a, a winding road and, and, and lane, a bit, a bit away from the town. Oh, okay. 
Was it there by itself? Was she quite isolated? Or did she have neighbours? So, even by West Cork standard, yeah. this was an isolated cottage. Oh, wow. However, she did have one neighbour. Oh, okay. So it is, and when I, I read that, I thought to myself, I, I, I was like, that's just typical. You know, it's like when you park your car away from every other car and you come back to it and there's one right beside you. Yeah, but I think if you were up there yourself, yeah, no, no, so no, daunting. These were old uh, like cottages, you know, like they didn't have central heating or, 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 or anything. Oh like they had, had shutters on, on the window. So Sorry, what year did she buy this in? Do you know? 93. We weren't even born? No. Um, Was it outdoor plumbing and that kind of thing? I don't think so, no. Okay, we were I a guess. wee bit more modern yeah, than yeah, that, yeah, but no central yeah, heating. Wow. Yeah, so <clears throat> it wasn't a case that like she built a cottage there and then someone built beside her. Like yeah, like yeah. the the family that's that lived uh, beside her and it wasn't like attached but like they were still Yeah. Quite close because It'd be nice to have somebody yeah. nearby mm-hmm. just in case something happened. Yeah. So for three years Sophie would regularly visit and stay in the cottage. Sometimes alone, and other times she would bring her son. Oh, nice. She was also very, she wasn't well known to the local community, but people knew of her and would see her in the markets. So, mm-hmm. as you know, like she'd be down at the, at the pub having like a cup of tea. I suppose if she lived such a busy life in Paris, mm-hmm. when she goes to school, she probably just wants to kind of be a bit nomadic. Mm-hmm. It was very much that. In in Paris, she was Sophie Tuscan Duplantier. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, she was Sophie. Yeah. I so, was actually, when you were saying that, I was thinking, Paris, it sounds like she's Daniel's wife. Like, not in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, yes, yeah. But, like, you know, she has to, um, I don't want to say appease him, because, you know, but she has to support her husband and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But, really, she can just be her true self when she's yes. away in yeah, school. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I get it. Without research, you know, like it, it's, it was said that like. She had a bit of a dark gothic side to her. Oh. In 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 terms of her, her creativeness. Yeah. Uh, and um, she actually wanted to do a documentary on like bodily fluids. Ew. Uh, like it was just something about it, like, interested her, you know, and, and she wanted to tell a story. Okay, because just up until um you said that, she mm-hmm. sounded very, like, like I don't know, like, just, like, a nice, chilled, introvert well, she was, like, woman. Was, yeah. And I'm not, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. But then, like, now I'm like, oh, but she's kind of got a dark side. It's not, like, a like a dark side. Mm. It's a, you know, like, a, a gothic side to her, almost. Yeah. But, but, yeah, like, she was always, I described, uh, as a very lovely, happy person. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, you know, like, loved loved to talk to, to people, mm-hmm. like that, um, while having her her time to 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 herself. Yeah. So we'll, we'll move on a bit. Okay. Sophie arrived at a Cork airport on the twentieth of December, nineteen ninety six. So three years after she's bought the the cottage, mm-hmm. intending mm-hmm. to spend <clears throat> Christmas there alone. She oh. had asked f- family and friends. If they would join her, but some had other commitments, were unwell, or simply never got back to her on time. 
And I don't think it, it was a, she wanted to invite a group of people. Uh-huh. It was, you know, like maybe like one or two, then they couldn't come. So she would ask others. What about her son? He, he was spending it with his dad. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So. And her husband? Um, I, I don't think her husband ever actually visited the cottage. I think that was maybe like a boundary she, she, she had of like, I wanted my time away. But I get that and I, I mm-hmm. respect it, but I do find it a bit odd. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine, mm-hmm. like, buying somewhere but being like, you can't actually come and see it. Yes. Or yeah, visit. No, but... Because surely, you know, if your partner has an, a space, which is totally mm-hmm. fine, surely you would want to just kind of check it out, see what it's like. Well, as well, I guess, like, they were, like, part of the social elite. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know, like, they had money. Yeah. So, like, I think them having another property wasn't that, you know, like, it's... I think, for, for like, me and you, we can't sort of comprehend that. But to them, it's just a... No, like, I got the impression that they mm-hmm. were obviously financially mm-hmm. well off. Mm-hmm. So I get that in terms of, like, they probably aren't that fussed regarding, like, the price of the cottage. Yeah. But, like... In a more emotional, like, supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. At 10am on the 23rd of December, a neighbour found Sophie's partly clothed body lying on the grass verge at the side of the lane up to the cottage. Her arms and face were, were covered in cuts and scratches. She had severe head and facial injuries. Her skull had been crushed with a heavy, heavy object. My goodness. The injuries were so bad that the neighbour couldn't positively ID the body of Sophie. Wow. Mm-hmm. What's happened? So yeah, it was a very very abrupt end. That's vicious. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, murder was basically unheard of. Yeah. In the oh area. my. So the police were unprepared. I was gonna say I doubt that the police had had much training on mm-hmm. How to handle it. Yeah. Like the local police. Yeah. So a forensic team had to come from Dublin to help with, with the investigation, which took them about four to five hours to get there. Wow. And they're you know, like, so like and Cork, two days before Christmas. Cork, like obviously this was outside West Cork. Yes. But does Cork itself not have like a big, um, like a forensic team? No. Wow. Not at this time. I suppose, sorry, this was 96, wasn't it? Yeah. So, right, okay, we while ago. Mm-hmm. My goodness. And like you mm-hmm. say, it was so close to Christmas, like, probably staff was limited. Yeah, and, and traffic as well to get down yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, so, was her, sorry, was her body just lying to the elements at that until, Yeah. Oh, no. Well, like, you, you know, like, they would have done their best to preserve. Yeah, but, what but, you know, your best is, yeah, is I, always I, enough. Yeah, and, you know, like, her cottage would overlook fields and the sea. Yeah. Like, she wasn't right next to the sea, but, you know, like, she could see it. Oh, wow. And all. So, like, uh, um, yeah, very difficult to sort of m- maintain the integrity of it. And I wonder as well, in those few hours, the the news about Sophie would have bled through oh, Skull yeah. mm-hmm. rapidly. Mm-hmm. So, the team arrived in Skull at about 10pm. So, so 12 hours, you know, like it took them 12 hours to gather like the team, their equipment or what and get, oh my goodness. and get to school. They found the local police station 
only for it to be closed because all the police were at the crime scene. <laughs> of course. The crime scene being outside, it was very difficult to find evidence. There was a partial footprint, blood on a farm gate and in two or three other places. So you know those big like long metal gates mm -hmm. that the farmers have like on yeah. that. There was no there was no sign of, of an assault occurring in, inside the house. Everything was as it should have been, though it was noticed that there was two wine glasses on the draining board. Ah, okay. So implying that there might have been a second person there. Yeah. But there was nothing else off in the in the house. Strange, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Even though this was fairly recent in the terms of it, it was in the late 90s, the, the forensics lab was only starting to get DNA testing in. They needed a teaspoonful of, of blood flakes to do any meaningful testing. And from all the bloods they found at the crime scene, their tests could only determine it was Sophie's. Oh. So in comparison to today where a couple of hairs is, mm -hmm. is needed, as in like the... They needed a, a lot more physical evidence then. Yeah. Local police were, were, were baffled. They had never had to deal with, with anything like this and it showed in their investigation. They relied on the expertise of seasoned veterans that had come in from the, the surrounding areas. House-to-house -house inquiries were completed by by going to every house within 10 miles of, of Sophie's. Over 1,000 people had been interviewed and initially there were 54 suspects, but eventually all were worked off from the list. All of them? All 54. What do you? So the police are really struggling at the moment. Yeah. You know, they don't really have any evidence to go off. The local police don't have experience in this. Mm -hmm. There's other police that have had to come in, other investigators that have had to come in. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, like, and because the property is so isolated, yeah, no one really... Heard or seen it. Yeah. And obviously our body was left mm -hmm. then for, what, 12 hours outside? And I know that, like you say, they would have tried to preserve it, but what are the chances that, like, possible evidence hasn't been destroyed by you know, the elements. Yeah. Something that's, that came out during the investigation was that Sophie had, had visited a place called Three Castle Head the day, the day before her, her murder. It was, it was about half an hour west from Sophie's house. While there, Sophie, Sophie went to a woman called Yvonne Unger's house and told her that she had seen a ghost of a white lady while at Three Castle Head, and it had had, had scared her. Sorry, Sophie. Sophie claimed that she seen a a ghost, a white ghost. Yes, there was a a local legend that said anyone who saw the ghost would meet their end mere hours after. Yvonne wasn't from West Cork and was unaware of the legend. Locals had said that if if so Sophie had visited someone with knowledge of the legend. They wouldn't have let her leave alone. Oh really? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, like, even 
even like saying it again, I felt myself get goosebumps. I'm not gonna lie, right? But if I knew that story and then seen a white ghost, I'd shit myself. What would you do? Yeah. Well, like Sophie didn't know. No. Of the legend. But, um, but even if you did see a white mm-hmm. ghost, my heart rate would mm-hmm. still race. I know. Yeah. Well. Well. Like her, her's dead. That's why she she went to this woman's house. So it was to like ask ask about it. Wow. So uh, um, because you know, like that's that fed into like her sort of gothic, yeah. with like creativity. That you, you know it 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 didn't pique her interest, but like it's it scared her. So his aunt's um as well. Sophie's aunt is has claimed to have uh five premonitions. Okay. So, something like that. She came from a close family, so with her having that side of it as well, that's that runs in her family to 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 see her ghost. That's why she got scared from it. Hmm. <coughs> I don't like that story. No, but we'll move on. Thank you. On the twenty seventh of December, nineteen ninety six, a woman called. Mary Farrell was was being questioned by, by police and she told them that Sophie had been in her shop on the afternoon of Saturday the 21st of December and when Sophie left Mary noticed a man on the other side of the road in a long black coat watching Sophie. The man, the man then followed her watching every place she went. Oh. From all from all the interviews police were were able to trace Sophie's movement from when she arrived in Cork to her murder, but weren't able to progress any further in the investigation. The police put out a public appeal for anyone with information to contact them, and a, a reconstruction of her last movements was created and aired on Crime Line. So that's similar to our. Crime Watch, Crime Stoppers. Uh, crime Watch. Crime Watch, yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this man with a long black jacket. Well, I'll move on. Okay. Sorry, I just it like you know that whole stereotype of like stranger danger. Yeah. And it's like the guy with the long trench coat on. I'm just getting visions of that. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically what it is at the moment. Yeah. Uh, on, on the eleventh of January, nineteen ninety seven, was the next big. The breakthrough in the investigation. From a payphone, a woman named Fiona contacted the police to say she had seen a man at Kilfada Bridge at around 3am in a long black coat who appeared to be in a drunken state and waving his arms around. And the bridge is about five to ten minutes south of Sophie's cottage. Okay. And sorry, when this woman, Fiona, was phoning about it, was this about the night that Sophie was yes, murdered? Yes, okay. yes, it was. The police appealed to Fiona directly to get in touch again, and she did, from another payphone the next day. Then she rang again for a third time on the 24th of, of January, mm-hmm. still calling as Fiona. The difference this time... She had made it from a home phone in Skull, which police were able to trace the call back to Mary Farrell. Mary Farrell, she the one the Sophie went to about the ghost? No, she was the shop owner who oh. seen the man 
Sorry, there's too many people in this story <laughs> so far. Right, okay. So, sorry. So, she's phoned the police and pretended to be somebody yes. else and is claiming that she's seen this man again. Mm-hmm. Is it true? Well, well, she's seen someone. But why was she not using her name? Well, she used an alias because on the night of, of Sophie's murder... She was with another man in her car who wasn't her husband. Oh, naughty. Okay. And I'll just, I'll leave it there for now. Sounds a bit like, was it Colin Hibble by any chance? <laughs> he took, he took a weekend trip. Listen, it would not shock me with that man. This, this isn't the end of Mary Farrell's uh, part in, in, in the investigation. Later in January... She was in the supermarket and she saw the same man again. She quickly left the shop and approached police on the street and told them that the man she had seen on the bridge was in the shop. Sorry, can I just ask, was it by chance that he wasn't stalking Sophie but he was stalking this woman? I mean, how he would know that she's going to (laughs) be driving across a bridge... At three in the morning. Aye, but he was outside her shop. And mm-hmm. then who's to say he wasn't watching her movements? But... And then he's in the supermarket now. This is a wee coastal town. Like, there probably only is one, one like, m- major shop. Yeah, but I think Mary might have it wrong. <laughs> She's the one with the admirer. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> The police informed Mary that the man she had identified was Ian Bailey. Ian what? Ian Bailey. Bailey? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I As thought in... you said Ian Brady. No, Bailey. Because okay. that's Be... another Aye. bad man. Aye. <laughs> Ian Bailey was a large, imposing man standing at six foot three. He was loud and charismatic, but... It... In the way, in the way that he would present this, it would actually annoy and irk many of the locals. Like, was he quite arrogant? Yeah. Right, and sorry, was he a local of Skull? He, he was English. Right. And he had been an investigative journalist when he lived in in England, mm-hmm. and he moved to West Cork for a quieter life. Ah, okay. Ian Bailey made a living writing articles for local papers and writing poetry. Mm-hmm. His, his Jules Thomas, who was Welsh, and Ian moved in with her and they lived together in Priory Cottage, which is about three miles east from from Sophie's cottage. Okay, so probably actually, like I know three miles is a bit mm-hmm. of a distance, but probably somewhat close to her in retrospect to the rest of the residents. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd read that it would take like about three miles to get from his cottage to Sophie's, but mm-hmm. as the crow flies, probably about a mile. Ah, right, okay. Now, to paint the picture here of, you know, like we've had a few locations. We've got Sophie's cottage in the centre. Yes. Kilfrada, Kilfrada Bridge is about five to ten minutes south. South. And then Ian's cottage is about three miles east okay uh, so it's not like they're 
to get to Sophie's, he has to go to the bridge or... They're not linked. Yeah. Apart yeah, from like, Ian yes, being the, at the bridge, the, yeah, there's yes. no link. It, it didn't really make a lot of sense for for why he would be at the bridge. Mm-hmm. Because, at three in the morning. Yeah. Um, did Sophie and Ian know one another? Just because of his career, it sounds like him and Sophie would have quite a lot in common. So we'll get into that. Oh, right, okay. Because you're skipping, skipping too far ahead. When Sophie's murder happened, the world press cascaded upon Skull, and Ian Bailey was the man in the know. He was described as a man who, who enjoyed having a level of variety and was a bit of a, a narcissist. Oh. So he, he liked, liked the limelight to, 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 to be on him, and because he was a local correspondent, when journalists would arrive yeah. from England and France, they would go to him because he would be the guy that would have the most. He would have loved that. I bet uh, he's the guy that like knows it all. Yeah. Um. I don't know why this is so random, but do you know what the way you're describing him? Do you know what it makes me think of? What? You know Pete from Mickey Mouse and the characters. Pete. Pete. Ah, he's like another dog. Oh, he's Goofy's son. No, oh. he's not Goofy's son. Pete's the big fat dog. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him? I think so. That's what I'm thinking of oh, right okay. now. But um, I think um, Ian Bailey as well is the type of guy... Sorry, my voice for a minute. Ian Bailey is the type of guy that if you go to Tenerife, he's been to Lavendrife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't think he's quite like that, but like he just... He just likes to be in the middle of everything. Do you think, though, I also get the the impression that he maybe, um, m- like, sort of mocks people to make himself feel better or bigger? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Throughout the, the investigation, Ian Bailey would write articles about the murder even while he was under investigation himself. He claimed that Sophie had multiple male companions who... Her cottage, and also tried tried to steer the investigation back towards France. He claimed that there was someone in France who had a vested interest in in Sophie's murder. In the articles written by Ian, they they had an exorbitant amount of detail that most weren't privy to at the time, such as how how Sophie was killed. He knew about the two wine glasses, and he also knew that she had not been sexually assaulted. Oh, details that I'm assuming the police didn't release. Yeah, like, like the two wine glasses. Yeah, like yeah, it, 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 he was there. Yeah. Or he had a really good informant. But also, um, how would he know that Sophie had men constantly frequent her house? They well, weren't like they didn't. It wasn't like they lived mm-hmm. that close. To no, 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 no. No, and many locals. Like this while. Yeah. Sophie's cottage was isolated and away from the town. The locals claimed that if something like that was happening and there was parties, mm-hmm. you know, like, p- people would, would know. know. Someone would notice and it would go around. Yeah, yeah. Never confirmed whether she had multiple lovers, mm-hmm. but there was at least, there was definitely at least one. So she definitely did have a lover. A lover, yes. Okay. So... Sophie and Daniel's marriage was not in a good place. She eventually started having an affair with a man named Bruno. Where's Bruno from? 
France. Sorry, was she having the affair in France or was it? I just, I just assumed yeah. she was having an affair in Skull. No, she was having the the affair in in France, uh-huh. and he visited the cottage on at least two occasions. My God, he's visited it more than our bloody mm-hmm. husband has. And Daniel was acutely aware of this. Yeah. Now, eventually, Sophie and Daniel would uh, separate. Mm-hmm. And Sophie would, would move in with, with Bruno. However, Bruno's true nature would soon show. He was dark and... And was essentially the the opposite to Sophie's uh, personality. Oh, so she was, um, oh God, what's the word, you know, love-bombed. Yeah. Did she get back with Daniel? Well, Sophie would then end the relationship around Christmas of 1993 mm-hmm. and would return to Daniel a year after their separation. Bruno did not take the the breakup well. He sent her his he sent her a screw in the post and there were reports that he, he had assaulted her in Paris. What, what, what was the screw? So, um, it, it either comes from or the saying comes from this, but to put the screws to, to someone, it's basically a threat of violence. Oh, is it? Aye. So, so yeah, like if you randomly receive a, a screw in the post, someone's threatening you. Wow, I never mm-hmm. knew that. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so I can see if he's been to Skull. Wait, I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. She ended the relationship with Bruno. Yeah. Christmas nineteen ninety three. Yes. But she bought the house in nineteen ninety three. Yes. In Skull. Yes, I don't know exactly when she bought the house. All oh, right. Okay. So it's. She wasn't with him for long. Like, she, she was back with Daniel a, a year after they separated. Wow. So, so yeah. Sophie is a bit dark, isn't she? Mm-hmm. I mean, you do you, but... <laughs> as quickly as Bruno became a suspect, he was quickly r- r- ruled out with a solid alibi. He had a, a, a receipt, which he had signed, uh, which showed he was in Paris on the 23rd of December. But that's not to say that he's not hired somebody to commit the crime. Keep that in mind. <laughs> I feel like you, 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 you've researched this. No, I I've, haven't. As I've been doing it. <laughs> I'm just getting really good at these since we've been doing so many. <laughs> there was another theory put forward by Ian Bailey that Daniel had hired someone to kill Sophie. Oh... Due to him potentially losing half of his estate in a divorce, there also would have been a large sum of money to claim from Sophie's life insurance. Now, it's also said that Daniel's financials weren't in a great place. Okay. So if him and Sophie divorced and he lost half of it, half of his estate, he would have been in real trouble. But by the sounds of it, she'd gone back to him, so... <laughs> Were they, pl- were they in a bad place that we know of? Well, this is a theory that was put forward by, by Ian Bailey. Right, okay. <clears throat> However, statements from family and friends said that Daniel was devastated by, by Sophie's death and felt guilty that he, 
he was not with her at the time of her death. Another reason the theory of an assassin being involved was, in, was incorrect was that Sophie's house was so isolated, even some locals would have struggled to find it, mm. never mind a stranger. Additionally, the method of killing did not paint the picture that a, a, a professional had done it. They still just left Ian Bailey. But couldn't, I don't, I mean, I don't know, that is this totally like jumping to conclusions, but could Bruno have not, because he'd been to Skull, could he have not maybe recruited a local or somebody, you know, in the area that wasn't a hitman essentially um, to do the crime? He could have. You know, somebody, a bit, like, a, a, yeah. you know, somebody, you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, like the, the bad people. The bad people. <laughs> <laughs> he could have, but um, there's, there's been. N- n- Nothing further about Bruno's being being brought up in the investigation. And she, sorry, she wasn't sexually assaulted. No. So then you think, what's the motive? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, remember that I said that that Sophie's body was found. On the grass verge mm-hmm. by by the lane up up to her cottage. Yes. And she was covered in in cuts and scratches. Yes. So. The assumption was defensive wounds. Yeah. However, these also caused by the vegetar by the vegetation on on the on the grass verge. Ah, okay. There was thick briar with with massive thorns, and it is believed that some of Sophie's wounds had come from the vegetation. Like during the attack. Like she could have been like cut. And... Yeah, like you know, like she, she was found down the lane. So you know, if 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 she was running and you know she fell. Yeah. Or was pushed. Mm-hmm. Or to um, into it, and you know, like for anyone who doesn't know what like briars are, think of like barbed wire just like rolled up into like a mess of a ball as like a mass like a briar. Where were they? Like down the lane. Yeah, like on the. On the grass verge, uh, beside okay, the lane. Okay. So it's yeah, it gets very thick branches all like wound, round each other, oh. type thing, and like massive thorns. So as part of the investigation, police were looking for someone, who could possibly have similar scratches on their body. Mm-hmm. Ian Bailey was visited by two, police officers, and they noticed that Ian had serious scratches up both his arms when. He was working in his garden with his sleeves rolled up. When was this? The scratches came from when he was cutting down a Christmas tree by by climbing to the top of a pine tree and in doing so it caused the scratches on his hands and arms. Bailey claimed that if he had murdered Sophie and got his arms scratched by the briars that he would have hid the scratches rather than having them on show there was also a scratch on his forehead which he said he got from killing three turkeys on the 22nd of december why did they need three turkeys for christmas they weren't just for him all oh, right okay bailey was visited and interviewed by the lead police investigator dermot dwyer during the interview, it, it very much became a pissing contest as they were both sizing each other up, giving little bits of information while trying trying to draw information out of the other. 
Now, remember I said um, Ian Bailey was an investigative journalist mm-hmm. in a previous life. Well, apparently, like, he was very good at, you know, like, getting information ah, okay. out of people. And, and so, yeah, like, this, like, this very much was, like, a, a dick measuring <laughs> contest from, from what I read and all. Ian Bailey claimed that Dermot Dwyer ha- had said he was going to place Ian at Kilfrada Bridge on the night of Sophie's murder. Mm-hmm. Dermot adamantly d- denied this as this was nowhere near his style of policing. He always went into an investigation with a clear mind and no preconceived ideas. Okay. Ian Bailey was arrested in February 1997 and police had 12 hours to charge or release him. 12 hours? Under Irish law, yeah. Wow, that's nothing. Yeah, like the, the like section of the Crime Act, things like Section 4 of the Crime Act he was being arrested under. Look at you, legally blonde. Woohoo! <laughs> police felt they had a strong case to arrest Bailey due to the scratches on his arms and discrepancies surrounding his his movements around the time of the murder. Now, as I said, Sophie's body was I reported at around 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And by 2 p.m. it was in the news. Wow. So news travels fast. Wildfire. Mm-hmm. Ian Bailey said he received a phone call from a local newspaper editor, Eddie Cassidy, at 20, 20 to 2, who told him there had been a murder. Ian Bailey and his partner Jules then rushed off to the crime scene. However, Eddie Cassidy claimed that he never said the nationality of the victim, just that it had been a foreign national. Now, remember that Skull is basically an in, in, international area, so, yeah. so saying it was a foreign national... Could have been most of the population. Yes. Bailey claimed that, that Eddie Cassidy did say the victim was French, that he knew of a French woman who, who, who lived up the mountain as he knew her neighbour. Okay. So apparently he had done work in his neighbour's garden for him. and mm-hmm. Sorry, in her, in Sophie's neighbour's garden. Okay. So, Can I just say one thing mm-hmm. though? Okay, so the Ian Bailey gets the call at 20 to 2 yes. about a possible murder. Mm-hmm. And obviously then by 2 o'clock, did you say that there was an, then an article in the newspaper about her death? It, essentially but it was a very like brief yes i just think like he prob- probably didn't know but like out of respect to like sophie's family mm-hmm. to publish that so quickly after like they probably haven't been notified at this point it just seems so mm-hmm. like cold yeah. and distasteful in my opinion i think it's it was they probably find it easier because she was french so like her family wasn't there I know, but still. I don't know. <clears throat> We've got the body mm-hmm. reported at 10am. Ian Bailey getting a phone call at 20 to 2 mm-hmm. and, it, uh, and there being a story in the news by 2pm. But what, what happened between 10 and 2? You tell me. Well, at approximately quarter to 11, mm-hmm. Jules was in town saying that Ian is investigating a murder. Oh. At 11.30, Ian was supposed to be delivering a turkey so they weren't all for him mm-hmm. and phoned the man 
who was receiving said turkey Mm -hmm. and said he couldn't deliver because he was investigating a murder. And then at some point between half 11 and 12, he phoned a woman in Skibbereen who he was due to to meet that day to say that he, he couldn't meet because he was investigating a murder. So the police were were focusing on Ian's movements just prior to the body being reported and wanted to understand how much he knew and when he knew it. Yeah, and like the fact that there's more than one report of them saying, him and his partner saying that there was a murder, mm-hmm. like so early on, like that's yeah. very suspicious. Mm-hmm. And who is this Jules as well? This is, a, I know, but like, who is she? Why was she going up to the murder with him supposedly as well? I would have imagined it was, you know, to like be like an extra like set of eyes or what, or, you know, like if if she was taking notes for, for Ian. That's unnecessary. Well. I'm sorry, but it's not like the police phone their bloody spouses whenever there's a murder. Can you come up here and support me? Piss off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Ian arrived at the crime scene at about 20 past two. Mm-hmm. And the police thought he was acting a bit strange. He didn't stay long and he didn't ask any questions. Oh, and he's a journalist. He's a journalist. He was an investigative journalist. Yeah. So, like, you would think that while he hasn't done it in a while, you know, like, the like muscle memories kept coming back. You know, like, yeah. he's... Adrenaline will yeah, be going. You know, like, so, so, yeah, police found this very strange as to why, why he didn't... Do you think possibly for Ian it wasn't that he needed to ask anything? Because mm-hmm. if he is the murderer, he knows what happened. Yeah. But maybe it was that he wanted to just listen in on the police and hear what they knew. Who knows? Knowledge is key. Mm-hmm. When police searched Ian's house, they couldn't find anything that could have been used as, as, as evidence to place him at the murder scene. However... Ian and Jules had a studio that was about 250 yards down the road from their cottage. Mm-hmm. So, so not too far, but a wee bit of a walk. Yeah. At the studio, investigators found a large patch of grass had been scorched by a fire out the back. Police believed that Ian Bailey had burnt anything that could have placed him at the scene of the murder. Ian claimed he had built a fire earlier in, in December but a witness claimed to have seen a bonfire on Boxing Day. Police combed, combed through the ashes and found mattress springs, coat buttons and boots, but no DNA could be taken from the ashes. Well, that's quite suspicious. Mm-hmm. Mattress springs, though? I don't know whether it was to add stuff into the fire, so it make it more difficult to determine what, what actually yeah. was actually burnt. So it is, but... Um, but also like apparently though, like it was a big fire. Um, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. um, on Guy Fox, I know obviously for yourself, like Guy Fox isn't like a thing, but um back in the day when you would build a bonfire, mm-hmm. you would build Guy Fox. Yeah. So like you would stuff like old clothes with like hay and um mm-hmm. you know, so like an effigy. Sort of what? Like an effigy. What's that? So it's like a straw man that gets put on top of a fire to... Yeah, but it's Guy Fox here. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he could use that as a... a, a you know, he was mm-hmm. building an effigy. Yeah. On the afternoon of 
of Ian's arrest, mm-hmm. Jules w- was was then arrested. Oh. Jules gave the same story as Ian mm-hmm. that he was in bed all night. Eventually, Jules admitted that Ian was actually restless when they went to bed and he got up an hour later and he didn't return until 9am the next morning with a coffee for, for her. So essentially he's got out of bed, left the bedroom. Mm-hmm. She hasn't seen him again until he's walked back into the bedroom with a coffee for her. Jules noticed he had a, a, a new cut on his forehead that she couldn't remember him having before. Okay. I think it was one of those ones where like you just clock something and you're like, has that always been there? Mm-hmm. Was it like a small cut? Yeah, like, yeah, like a, it, it wasn't like a big gash. Right, yeah. So it was, but, you know, it was like a scratch, like a, a deep scratch. After this, Ian's story changed. He said that he had got out of bed and did a, a bit of writing in the kitchen and then some more in the studio. Jules then, then stated that based on the evidence put forward to her, and her and her own version of Ian Ian's actions that, that night, that there was strong evidence that linked Ian to the murder of Sophie. Oh. Stripping Ian Bailey of his alibi. Now, remember said the studio was about two hundred fifty yards down the road mm-hmm. from the house. So it was like you would have had to have left the house to go there. Yeah. And the only person who's like who can place him outside of the house is Mary Farrell. Yeah, because obviously, like I was going to say, whether you stayed in the house and wrote in the kitchen or went to shoot or not, Jules was in the bedroom the whole time, so mm-hmm. she can't vouch for him. Yeah. So, the bridge, is, I know um, he lives, I know they live three miles away from Sophie, mm-hmm. but the bridge, does, does Ian Bailey live near that bridge? No, no, no. Is so it like, like a trek? Yeah, yeah. So, like, as I said, like, if you put, with, like, Sophie's cottage in the middle, mm-hmm. Ian's cottage is off to the east, mm-hmm. and then the bridge is to the south of, of Sophie's. So, so if you're, if you put it into, like, a triangle, uh-huh. it's, you know, like, it's, he's not, not next to it. So he's probably about, like, five miles away from the bridge? Yeah, yeah potentially. Wow, okay. And that's mm-hmm. where Mary... Um, Farrell claimed to have seen him. Yeah. At 11pm, time was up for the police and Ian Bailey was released as a free man. There was no admission of guilt and only circumstantial evidence. Now, Ian Bailey supposedly did confess to oh. multiple people about the murder. Okay. One confession was that when a friend came to his house to tell Bailey of the rumours be, 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 being spread about him. So, you know, it's a small town. People are already know he's been arrested, so mm-hmm. you know, rumours fly. Uh, Ian's face contorted in, in rage and he shouted that, that it must have been the friend who had seen Sophie the day before her death and that he went to her house at 2am she got scared by him and tried to run away before he threw a rock at her head and and realised he had gone too far. Why was he at her house, supposedly? The friend, you know, like, was absolutely shocked by this, you know, like, wondering 
where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he began to wonder, was this Ian Bailey confessing through him? So he was accusing the friend of doing all that, but in actual fact, it was something he had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he was using the, his, his friend as, as the vector. So, sorry, was he te- telling this to Sophie's friend? No, 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 no. It was Ian's friend who had come to, to visit him because, you know, like, rumours are, are spiralling yeah, out of control. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's all... And as soon as Ian hears the rumours, he starts to shout at his friend and tell his friends what supposedly the friend must have done. What friend? The friend that's literally in his house. How are you not getting this? I'm so lost. Right. Right, no, no, no. Let me summarise it. All right, okay. You can tell me when I'm right or not. <laughs> right, okay. So, a pal of Ian's yes. goes to his house. Yes. Because he's heard rumours. Yes, you're right so far. And he says to Ian, I've heard these rumours. And Ian flips out mm-hmm. and starts telling this story about him being at Sophie's so or the pal. He, he accuses the friend Oh, okay. So, sorry. Does he then try and spin, spin the blame on the pal and say you went to Sophie's? Yes. You scared her. Yes. You threw a rock yes. at her. But mm-hmm. really, it was probably a mirror image of actually what Ian did. Yes. Okay. 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 Are you back on board now? I think we're all back on board now. Right. Okay. Another confession happened on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. when Ian met a a couple in a bar and. And got chatting. Ian then invited the couple back to his house for more drinks. Mm-hmm. After a while, he was hugging uh, hugging the man of the couple and crying, saying, I did it, I did it. Ian Bailey followed these apparent confessions off by saying it was black humour, sarcasm, irony. So basically, like, he, he, he was saying, well, everyone else is is saying that I've, I, I, you know, like, I, I must have done it, so I'll make a joke out of it. That doesn't sound very funny. Sorry, can mm-hmm. we just quickly skip, uh, mm-hmm. reverse back a bit? Mm-hmm. Um, the friend that Ian Bailey right, okay. accused. Yeah. What did he say when he was being accused of this? Oh, he, he left, so did. He, he got very scared by, by how, how quickly Ian turned. How so dark he went. Yeah, like, uh, it's, it's like, uh, uh, and he said, like, you know, like, his, his face absolutely contorted, you know, like, he was sitting on the edge of the table and his knuckles went went white from, mm-hmm. from grabbing it. And it was, it's like he he left and like he he told this to the police and all. It was, but but it was still circumstantial. A year after the first arrest of, of of Ian, he was arrested again, this time by the National Criminal Investigation Bureau. These are the big guns now. These are okay. the like elite detectives. Right. Once again, Ian could only be held for 12 hours and under Irish law, this was the last time Ian Bailey could be arrested without being charged for the murder. So that's not saying that he couldn't be charged Mm -hmm. in future, but the police couldn't force him to be brought in for questioning and and, and hold him against his will. It sounds kind of like double jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is. Ian Bailey once again never confessed uh, and was released again due to all evidence being circumstantial. Mm -hmm. 
Now, to note how sort of Irish law works mm -hmm. when it comes to criminal uh, anti-prosecutions. For the police to, to prosecute someone with a crime, the case is presented to the, the Director for Public Prosecutions, the DPP for short. Don't start with these. Do not start with these. The DPP. And they decide if there is enough evidence to to warrant a case going to trial. So it's a bit like RCPS. Yes. But it's one man. What? It's not like a, it's not really like a team. It's one man that has the final say. And if he says no, that's it. I'd love that job. <laughs> After this, nothing really happened for like several years until Ian Bailey sued multiple Irish media outlets for defamation, claiming they had ruined his life by naming him as the murderer. The media obviously didn't take this lying down and they pushed for access to the, the police files on, on Ian Bailey, which they were granted. And they ended up <laughs> subpoenaing, no, 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 <laughs> subpoenaing, subpoenaing, how do you say it? Subpoenaing. Subpoenaed. <laughs> subpoenaing. Subpo I can't say, subpoenaing. 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 Uh, witnesses who made, who made statements to the police to testify in court. The defamation trial opened the, the police investigation to the public for the first time, allowing the public, media and journalists to fully understand why Ian Bailey was a suspect rather than just listening to rumours. While the police investigation was built around circumstantial evidence, the witnesses who gave statements at the time of the murder gave the exact same statements in court and for the first time people could see the whole picture and understand why Ian Bailey was a suspect. The defamation case essentially turned into a murder trial. Ooh. Now, remember Mary Farrell? I don't know why, but I just don't like this woman. But yeah, go on. So, she was the woman who, who saw Ian, Ian Bailey at Kilfada Bridge. Mm-hmm. And she was actually a key part of the whole police investigation. Mm -hmm. She was the only person who could place Ian Bailey outside of his house. I just don't feel like she's trustworthy though. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, fine. Like, I'm, I'm literally just telling you. I'm just telling you though. I just get this vibe. I don't know. I don't think she would be like a um, reliable witness. Well, anyway. Tell me. It came out during the trial that, that Ian had tried to intimidate her and, and tried to force her to retract her statements. Mary wasn't the only person he tried to intimidate. It was mainly the female Of course it was. Population. <sighs> Many females in the area were actually scared of Ian Bailey and his imposing manner. Some even left and moved away. Oh, you're joking. No. I hate that. <clears throat> I did give you like a, a pre-warning that I feel like this is going to be another animated Ashley <laughs> episode. I think we're getting there. I don't know. Well, I hate him as much as I hated Colin Howell, who was foul. 
Um, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you just got that? No, no, I, I heard it. It was your, it was your wee pointing fingers afterwards. <laughs> your wee finger guns. Yeah, but our listeners can't see me. <laughs> well, I've just told them it, it was finger guns. I do just want to give a bit of a trigger warning at this part for, for domestic violence. For um, some of our, 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 our listeners, if they want to skip ahead a bit. During the trial, it came out that Ian Bailey had beat his partner Jules so bad that she almost lost an eye oh. and her lip was severed from her gum. Sorry, when was this? Like, I think it was claimed to be six months before the murder. Okay. It had happened so often that neighbours became used to seeing Jules with with bruises, mm. but she always refused to go to the police. It was also claimed that Ian had a very coercive control over her. He sounds like Peter Tobin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ian claimed that Jules had grabbed him first after they had both been, been drinking and he pushed her back but then lost control. However, he was adamant that he was not a violent person. How can you not be a violent person but yet... Your partner nearly loses their eye. Well, well, yeah, like, I thought to myself, if he's saying he's not a violent person, I would hate to meet the person that he defines as a violent person. He's scum. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't condone, I don't, don't condone violence of anybody, yeah. you know. I appreciate that they were both drinking. Mm-hmm. But he's six foot three. Yes. A big man. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, Jules shouldn't have pushed him. We don't know what the reason yes, was yes. for her pushing. But there's one thing in defending yourself, you know, to make sure that you're protected. I, I appreciate that. But to she nearly loses her eye and mm-hmm. severs her lip. Aye. That's that's like, that's was, awful. It was said her eye was the size of a grapefruit. And in our neighbours seeing that constantly and obviously it sounds like she's been um like manipulated yeah. and, and indoctrinated into like going with his will mm-hmm. and you know using excuses for him. Yeah. Oh why yeah. I just don't know. I know. The judge ruled against Ian Bailey and described him as a violent man, mainly with women. Yeah, I hate that. Sorry, here here's my rant. I hate that though with men that particularly like bully and victimize women. Like, you you predominantly then intimidate and abuse individuals that are smaller than you, and appear weaker. Yeah. But yeah, if you were to go up against somebody that was the same size as you or bigger, you'd absolutely shit yourself. Like mm-hmm. it's so pathetic. I hate it. Yeah. I don't think I've have anything to, to add to that. No, it really it rips my nut, and so it does. It actually makes me angry because then I just think, oh, do one. <laughs> I can't say what I want to say, no. so I'm really <laughs> limited my words here. <laughs> do you know? I always think about see with these particularly these guys that are really big, like really big, tall. I always think I'd be the perfect type though, just to square punch you in the balls. <laughs> so watch it. That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> Honest to God. See, because I'm so short. Like You're I'm more likely to bite their ankles. <laughs> Listen, you've got to do what you've got to do. <laughs> oh. I 
still don't condone violence. So, but I'm just saying, <laughs> if I have to protect myself and, well, I'm, yeah, same, yeah, yeah. and I'm the same level to punch you in the testes, I will. Self-defence, not. Aye. I told you I'm going to learn Krav Maga in 2024. Did that's you? My, yeah, that's my New Year's resolution. Right, right, okay. Is it Krav Maga or Krav Maga? Maga, Maga. Anyway, right. yeah. I'm going to be a self-defence pro 2024. You do it. I am. I'm trying to support you here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was very aggressive back to me. <laughs> I think I went a wee bit too feminine. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. Get back in my corner. <laughs> many, many had hoped that with all this new evidence that had come out from the defamation trial, that the DPP would now bring charges against Ian Bailey. Mm-hmm. But the DPP said he had no plans to charge Ian Bailey. Oh, this man. In the eyes of the public... Ian Bailey was even more guilty. What is it they say? Uh, public by... Um, not public. For uh, public opinion. Um, trial by media. Mm-hmm. Trial by public opinion. Yeah, this is very They say that's is. worse sometimes yeah. than an actual trial. Mm-hmm. They speak a bit about Sophie's family. Mm-hmm. So and how they were dealing with the, the um, murder. And I said that she comes from, from a very... Mm-hmm. Well, in 2007, after getting fed up with waiting for justice, Sophie's uncle created an association to uncover the truth behind her murder. It was filled with Sophie's family and friends who wanted to work together to try and discover who the murderer was and bring them to justice. They were made once a month to discuss details and come up with d- different pathways to reach justice. While Sophie's uncle had no experience in criminal law, mm-hmm. he had taught himself enough to learn the difference between the Irish and French legal systems. Wow. In Ireland, like in Britain, mm-hmm. you have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt to be uh, prosecuted with mm-hmm. a crime. In France, it's much more in line of there has to be enough evidence against a person okay to be to be found guilty so is there no um do you not require as much um evidence or like um i don't know how to explain it like in france do you only need like a proportion a percentage to prove it seems that way like i couldn't find much on it that that like like my in my head, the way you, you said that is like, for instance, in France, you maybe need like 65% worth of like evidence or like statements or whatever mm-hmm. to prove somebody's mm-hmm. guilty. Whereas in, say, Britain and Ireland, it's more like 85 or something. Well, you know like, what I mean? Well, like, it, I think in all of the evidence against Ian Bailey was mm-hmm. very much circumstantial. Mm-hmm. So, there was no hard evidence that that put him at the murder scene. You know, like there was no, there's none of his like DNA on like a, a murder weapon or, or like Sophie's body. Yeah. So, so in Ireland, that's not enough. Okay. So as you yeah. know, it's like you, you have to have shadow of a doubt that Ian Bailey done it. Whereas all the evidence at the moment, it could be explained away. Yes. Whereas in France, 
it seems to be that all this evidence keeps on piling up against Ian Bailey. You know, like, more and more keeps on coming out. Mm-hmm. So it seems that, like, to them, that's enough. Ah, okay. Do you know, can I just say, mm-hmm. um, in terms of Sophie's family, like, mm-hmm. obviously they've started, her uncle started this group in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, what dedication, like, it just is so, it's so empowering that they obviously wanted justice for Sophie. Yeah. Um that they were willing to, you know, use their time, their resources mm-hmm. to, to try and get a conviction. Yeah. But also, like, it's incredible because I can't even imagine myself trying to get my head around French legislation and law mm-hmm. and their court systems. And that's what he's done. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if, if he even speaks English or not. You know, obviously I'm assuming yeah. French is his first language. So to have to, like... Now, by the sounds of it, obviously Sophie's family are, are well off and, and yes, maybe yeah, they've yeah. been able to um, use resources to, mm-hmm. to help them. But mm-hmm. to just um, dedicate so much time and money to, to finding her, her murderer mm-hmm. is, is amazing. I think it, it was it was very much that like they were willing to put their trust in the Irish legal system. Yeah. So it was in the Irish police, but they felt that, you know, because they set up this association in 2007 11 mm-hmm. years after a murder they so like, waited very patiently yes, yes, didn't it was like they? they they gave them like their their fair dues yes and when the dpp wasn't for charging ian bailey they mm-hmm. felt that they'd been a let down abandoned i can understand mm-hmm. that of course and so with the information gained from the defamation case in, in ireland by 2008, a French investigation had begun. Ooh. So only a, a year after the association had been, been set up. So I think fair, fair play to them. Yeah, they really got the ball rolling. Mm. Under French law, when a French national is murdered abroad, France has a right to carry out its own investigation okay. and has the ability to prosecute a suspect. Mm-hmm. After pressure from the... That was set up by Sophie's family and friends. Mm-hmm. The Irish police file was handed over to French investigators. Wow. Now, we'll put that on the back burner. Okay. For the time being. And we'll go back to our favourite, Mary Farrell. <sighs> She's back. What she won? Well, she came out and said... It wasn't Ian Bailey that she's seen at Kilfada Bridge. I knew this. She's at it. I told you the vibe about this woman, and I do have a vibe, and, I'm, and my vibes are usually correct. And I absolutely hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it I had like all these wee pieces of like, oh, and do you remember Mary Farrell? <laughs> and straight away, you're like, don't like her. <laughs> I've got like this sixth sense. Well, <laughs> she did her, her statements saying it was all basically bullshit. Why did she lie? Essentially flipped the police investigation on its head. Mm-hmm. She was a key witness. Mary said she was terrified that her life would be ruined if it came out that there was another man in, in, in her car, even though she wasn't having an affair. So she said that police wanted her to falsely identify Ian Bailey and that they just needed it for their statements and nothing more would be needed from her. Ten years this story lasted before Mary retracted her statements. Right. So the the sighting of Ian Bailey mm-hmm. outside her shop watching Sophie mm-hmm. 
that's one thing yeah. that you know that I can mm-hmm. believe and I can understand if she said oh the police you know I'm, I'm not even getting get involved in that sense but like if the police had tried to mm-hmm. coerce her to say um, a sighting about um, Ian Bailey that one I can understand would make sense but the bridge one at three in the morning and then there's another guy in the car I'm just not getting it like I mm-hmm. just but she said as well that like the man she's seen at the at the bridge was acting erratic yes. waving the arms about having a, a long long black coat on mm-hmm. there's something that happens like happens included in, in, <clears throat> in this but there was a lot of rumors going around about ian bailey that he was a very weird person that at a full moon he would howl at it no <laughs> and that people had had seen him out at night in like his where with his magic stick what like he had this this big like like a tall stick almost as tall as him that like he would walk up and down use as like the the, the road with that he would carry with it's him. that guy in lord of the rings with the long hair gandalf yeah it sounds like gandalf <laughs> yeah, i love yeah, how you know straight away yeah, well, what yeah, about. of course <laughs> um so yeah like when people had heard that like it was potentially him at the bridge late at night acting erratic it very much played into you know like their thoughts about him already mm. And as I said, he, he wasn't well liked in the community as it was. I just think this M- Mary, is it Mary? Mary, yeah, Mary, Mary Farrell. I, I want to keep on saying Mary Fisher, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I keep wanting to say Mary Fisher. Anyway, I find I just find the statement in general strange, and the mm-hmm. attraction even stranger. I'm just not. Mm. Well, many people wondered why there was a sudden change of, of heart and thought Ian Bailey had finally gotten her. But she denied this and said she just wanted to tell the truth now. Like, because if he was going to... Obviously, you'd mentioned that he was mm-hmm. intimidating witnesses, particularly women. So I'm sure she was on top of his list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So if he didn't get to her, you know, within the first yeah. few weeks or months mm-hmm. from making the statement, 10 years down the line like that, yeah, I don't yeah. buy that. Mm-hmm. But... um. Yeah. She just sounds like one of those ones, you know, that gets himself enthralled in, in, in any sort of drama. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were questions on, he's corrupt or were they just incompetent? Many believed it was likely more in, incompetence. Yeah. And mis- mistakes were now coming out in how the investigation had been conducted. The crime scene hadn't been correctly mm-hmm. So... In that, in that twelve hour window for the investigators to get there from Dublin, mm-hmm. so they didn't do a good enough job. And I understand that, like I obviously mentioned to you already, like you know it would be the crime scene would have been jeopardized, mm-hmm. but also like you did say at the very start, their last murder was over a hundred years ago. Like yeah. these local police officers probably didn't have the training. Mm-hmm. They probably actually really did try to do it to their best of their ability, but. Like I said, also, your best sometimes isn't enough. Yeah. And so I can't... I don't really fault mm-hmm. them that much. Like, I, I kind of sympathise a bit. Mm-hmm. And they were probably in shock. Like they mm-hmm. probably don't have the experience yeah. to deal with this. But I also feel a wee bit funny about... I don't think they coerced Mary into a statement. Well, yeah, like, it, it, at this point, it's very much a he said, she said. I'm on their side. 
Ben's exhibits had also gone on missing. Remember the farm gate with the blood on it? Yeah. Missing. I mean, still incompetence. Yeah, you know. yeah. But like, it begs the question: How do you lose a farm gate? I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you lose that part. <laughs> see what you're saying? Like, it's like, okay, don't blame them. You know, I'm on their side. I was just like, just give it a wee sec. Just give it a wee sec. Like, <laughs> also, they didn't do an identity parade with, with Farrell to confirm the identity of the man that you that you saw at Kilfada Bridge. I um the lead police investigator Dermot Dwyer, mm-hmm. he did, I come out and say you know like we're not perfect we did we did make mistakes you know like there's definitely ways we should have done it better but does that but does that make Ian Billy innocent no it doesn't yeah yeah so, so like maybe maybe yeah like if if they were more experienced they would have found out who, who done it but who knows it's conjecture the cir- yeah it's the mm-hmm. circumstances mm-hmm. of the the murders and mm-hmm. you know now we'll skip ahead to 2011, mm-hmm. 15 years after Sophie's murder, and we begin to learn why the DPP never prosecuted Ian Bailey. Mm-hmm. Opinion, the investigation was thoroughly flawed and was prejudiced towards Ian Bailey. The DPP tended to favour Ian Bailey's interpretation of events rather than the witnesses that disputed his claims. The DPP also questioned why some witnesses didn't come forward immediately and that made them unreliable they acknowledged that ian bailey had a history of violence towards women but that this happened all the time so basically brushed it off what now the dpp is happy to have his interpretation so how i'm interpreting this is women suffer domestic violence all the time and don't get murdered so that doesn't mean that that Ian Bailey's murdered the uh, Sophie. But we can also flip it that women and men mm-hmm. are um are victims of domestic violence and are murdered. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that pure like arrogant old man like with, I, the, well, like with the I don't even want to say traditional values like with the sexist values there. And like this is typical position as whole. Held by a like an old experienced man. So what if his daughter came to him and said, "Dad, my husband is beating me every mm-hmm. night. He's emotionally abusing me. He's coercive. Yeah, he's gonna go, but hun, it's cool because you won't be murdered." Aye, <laughs> I know. <laughs> as soon as I put this bit in, I was like, oh, "We're getting an actually rant." <laughs> <laughs> Jumping ahead again to November, twenty fourteen. Ian Bailey was once again suing. However, this time it was the state of Ireland. He made claims that he was wrongly targeted as a murder suspect. He claimed that the police conspired to implicate him in the murder. Mary Farrell was once again involved. Wait. She was questioned about the man she was with at Kilfada Bridge whom she had never actually revealed his identity before. When pressed and pressed to reveal his identity, she stated she was fed up with this and it was her personal relationship, then got up and left the court. You can't just leave. 
Well, apparently in, in her case you can. I thought you were going to say apparently in Ireland you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bailey's legal team was ho- horrified. She was... She had went from being like the star witness, the crucial aspect of the police investigation mm-hmm. that could place Ian Bailey to being Ian Bailey's, like the crucial aspect of, of, of his case to prove that the police had unfairly targeted him. Yep. So him and his team are horrified by this. Can't believe how bold just to get up and be like, nah, I'm not doing this. She was she was eventually convinced to come back and got re- reprimanded by the judge. Obviously. Yeah, of course. And the judge told her that she had to name the man. This isn't real housewives of court. <laughs> you can't just storm away when you're pissed off. Real housewives of court. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> um, so yeah, the judge told her that she had to name the man she was with, to which she she eventually did name him. I thought you were going to say there that she was lying about that and she what there was no man. But it wasn't another lie. Oh my god! So, so she, she was with a man, right? but she just didn't name the man, she just lied about it. Oh, did she? I, well, no, like, she... She gave like a fake name or something. She's a psycho. I know. She reminds me, and it's really bugging me, she reminds me of somebody from The Crucible that was doing my head when I was in like higher <laughs> English. I always remember <laughs> this woman. If anyone knows who I'm talking about, please tell me because mm. it's really annoying me. But yeah, she's just a meddler. Yeah, well. Oh no. Not well me. This was the last straw. And Mary Farrell could, could no longer be believed any further and lost her credibility as a star witness, which resulted in the downfall of Ian Bailey's case, and he eventually lost the legal battle. It left him with a multi-million euro legal bill. Does he go on to sue her? No. Sue everybody else? Well, yeah, like... Yeah, like... It was really interesting, you know, like, in my... In my research, say, for this, when, like, you think you're almost done... Uh-huh. I'm almost done. Kept on going, and, like... Even when like I was reading articles and all about it, you know, like and, and interviews, mm-hmm. that like people who were involved in the case when the m- murder happened, whether it was police or journalists at the time, mm-hmm. that when this was going on, they were just like, just when you think like there's nothing more, there's no more twists or turns, something else co- co- comes up about it, and it's just something that like it stays like. It's almost like it's destined to stay in Ireland's history. Right. I have I have two two points that I would like to mm-hmm. make. One, I feel sorry for the jurors because I'm exasperated and we've only been chatting about this for about an hour. Mm-hmm. But secondly, at this point in the court case with Mary bloody lying right. all the time mm-hmm. and the way Ian Bailey's acting, mm-hmm. you lose sight that Sophie was murdered and we still don't know why or who or yeah you know which it gets lost in the drama doesn't it which, which is, is a shame that's is a very valid point because that's what people started to then come back to yeah of being like this is this is dubbed the uh, you know, like uh, like at a time and like with all this going on mm-hmm. the Ian Bailey case yeah and it's not it's about getting yes. justice for Sophie yes. Tuscan Duplantier <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Ian Bailey has lost another 
It's like court case. And this time has a multi-million euro legal bill. Ugh. But this wasn't the end of Ian Bailey's legal troubles. Okay. Because we go back to the French investigation. Yes, of course. I forgot about that. Yes. It has been continuing in the background while I've been discussing this. Mm-hmm. And in, in 2019, they moved to try Ian Bailey in... Which basically means he's going to be trying... Will, will go ahead in absence of Ian Bailey. Oh, okay. So, so under... Is that a French thing? Under French law, they can do that. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. His lawyer, who had been with him... F- for most of the 23 years since Sophie's murder, uh-huh. stated that no one in Ian's, in, in Bailey's legal team, or Ian himself, would be a- attending the things. They saw it essentially as a kangaroo court where, where Ian Bailey was going to be found guilty regardless. The shoe fits. I mean, yeah. And this isn't a, a trial that has a, a jury. It's got three magistrates, so basically three judges decide. Oh, okay. The trial lasted a few days in which Ian Bailey was found guilty Mm -hmm. and sentenced to 25 years in prison. However, in October 2020, Ireland's High Court ruled that they could not comply with the request of Ian Bailey for him to serve his prison sentence in France as they do not recognise the French laws used to convict Ian, Ian, Ian Bailey. Oh, contentious. Mm-hmm. And if Ian Bailey, Bailey was extradited, he would be granted a retrial. Okay. So. If, and this is all quite interesting. We've touched on it very briefly before mm-hmm. about um, the EU's um, thoughts on like mm-hmm. life imprisonment. Yep. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting. Is is it a violation of his human rights to be extradited to France because the crime didn't happen in France? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously Ireland's still part of the EU. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, of course I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just it's northern out the EU. Aye, aye. Right. It's part of the UK. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right. And so that is essentially where the story ends. So he's not in jail. No. He's a free man <gasps> in Ireland. He still lives in Skull. Does he? Yes, which which I find surprising. Yeah. So it is. But I think we have to take Skull as its own, own wee bubble. Well. So that like the, the community was, even though a lot of them didn't like him, a, a lot of them pretty much believed it was him. Yeah. They were still willing to like allow him to live there. Now, that doesn't mean that they interacted with him. Mm-hmm. But he was still, still lives there, still writes his poetry. I think most people would leave mm-hmm. and just have a fresh, fresh start somewhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. However, the way you've described him being quite like an arrogant, bullyish type mm-hmm. man, he, I can't imagine, narcissistic, yeah. I can't imagine him wanting to move because yeah. that would then mm-hmm. be him admitting that he's, he's guilty. Mm-hmm. I think it's potentially a there's a safety aspect as well of if he moves country what if that country extradites him to France that is very but wait, you just moved to another part of Ireland uh, I mean like this 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 store is massive and like, I know but you could move to like another part mm-hmm. new identity yeah, like your name that kind of thing is he still with Jules no they are separated good I'm glad so, I hope he has a lovely mm-hmm. lonely life there is one one last update okay 
So last year, a cold case was opened on the murder by the Irish government and the police mm-hmm. because they are extremely embarrassed that no one has ever been convicted yeah. for, for the murder. And it has caused strain in their relationship with French authorities. Oh. They hope that with new technology, old DNA samples can be retested mm-hmm. and they are convinced that that with new evidence that has come to light it would allow them to to prosecute her her murderer and reach a conviction i mean this happened in 96 96 so we're coming up to 30 years soon enough mm-hmm. Hello. and it's it's annoying because it sounds very much like it was ian bailey but who knows like if he's not yeah, technically like, been convicted in ireland like ian bailey is adamant of his of his innocence but he's also adamant he never met Sophie. However, there has been stories coming out that one of the reasons why Sophie went to Ireland at this time was to meet Ian because he wanted to do... He, he wanted to like either do a, a documentary on something or like write an article mm-hmm. and he wanted her help or her opinion on it. So mm. there was a lot of conflicting evidence of like Ian's statements were very much never met her, seen her once when she was pointed out to me. But then there's conflicting evidence that apparently he did know her mm-hmm. and he was due to meet her. Um, I find it, it's just, yeah, it's a lot of he said, she said. Mm-hmm. We still don't know why she was murdered and I also find it very interesting that you said that there was no sign of sexual assault. Yeah. Usually that's very mm-hmm. present in a lot of murders, mm-hmm. particularly women. Um, it's a control element, so it just seems, I don't know, it, it makes it harder to think why was she murdered. Like, mm-hmm. a, you know. Um, but I have decided I don't want to move to Skull anymore. I'm okay with am. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it's like outside of this. That like you know it's the no, only thing. No, it sounds thing. like a strange, a strange community. It sounds like what? a lot. No, it does because I don't want to live next to Mary or or Ian. <laughs> it's a very it, eclectic. It, it it has a very like artistic eclectic. community. What's that mean? I'll tell you when we finish. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not bad. I, just, <laughs> I think our know. listeners are probably sick today for listening to this at this point. <laughs> this is the longest episode we've ever done. Woo! It's like an hour and a half. Hello. Can't I'm wait. exhausted. Can't wait to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, that is that is the story of, of, Sophie Toscan Duplantier's murder. Lovely, a a very interesting one. My head hurts though. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I'm baffled by a lot of it. But yeah, yeah, you know, like there's so much, kept on happening with it, mm-hmm. like. A lot of it didn't need to happen in, yes. in, in terms of uh, um, Ian Bailey's court cases, but if it continues to push for justice for Sophie and her family, then... Yeah. I feel like this episode is similar to mine um, on the Bible John case mm-hmm. in terms of we get to the end and we still are no clearer on yeah. who. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so, uh, which some people love and some people mm-hmm. hate. Obviously, I was very focused on Ian Bailey's involvement, but from my research and the information out there, 
there wasn't really any other suspects to, to really yeah. give any 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 heedance to. Fingers crossed through time, like mm-hmm. the Irish police have said, you know, better DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, testing, if, you know. If something does come out of this cold case, we'll we'll do an update. Yes. But that is all. And I will be back next week for a Christmassy crime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Let's happened on Christmas but not necessarily Christmas I mean, it was crime. the 23rd of December we're yeah. warming up you have a good I don't want to say good but you have an interesting Christmas one yes. to finish mm-hmm. season one in two weeks time yes we're, we're, we haven't even said that that's... I know we're going to take a two week break at Christmas and we will be back for season two yes. in the new year yes I'm looking forward to it so if you have any recommendations for some murderers that we can talk about in season two we would love to hear them you can find us on Instagram at there's been a murder underscore podcast. Amazing. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers now. Bye. Bye.